It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com. I saw an item posted in USA Today that stunned me. There are more store cards in circulation in people's wallets or in drawers in their homes than any other type. There are roughly 400 million store cards, store credit cards. Now, the biggest credit card otherwise is uh, the Visa branded cards, and there's nearly 100 million less of those. And these store cards are junk credit. I mean, they don't help you on your credit report. Unless it's the only credit you've got, it may help some. And the cards have so much to them that is rotten for you. And we got roughly half of Americans who have store cards. So why are they so rotten terrible? Okay, so you go to a retailer, and this is something that happens more in person than online, and they say, would you like to save 15% on your purchase today? And they don't want to say that, but the person, you know, the cashier is required to say that stuff to every person. And I always say, no, I really don't want to save 15%. And then their head pops up because usually they're used to people just kind of grumbling or whatever, Um, mumbling, not grumbling, mumbling. And the real reason you don't want them is not because I don't like saving money, but because they actually cost you a fortune. Because those store cards typically have an interest rate of 25 to 36%. Think about that. 25 to 36%. I don't know anybody who gets something and says, yippee, I get to pay 33% interest on this card. And even though the average interest rate on a major credit card, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Discover, is like uh, 17, 18%, which is a rotten, terrible number, it doesn't compare to how rotten, terrible, squared the store cards are. And then those store cards are only good for that place. Now, I know that people will sign up for these because they're offered 0% financing. But know that 0% financing generally will blow up on you if you haven't made absolutely certain you've made all the payments on whatever they granted you 0% on before that payment holiday period ends. Because the typical 0% plan has interest retroactive to day one at that 25 to 36%. If you don't have every last penny paid off before that payment holiday period ends, the no, no, no period of uh, typically six months, a year, 18 months, whatever it is. So with store cards, you're playing with fire and you don't want to get burned Know how the game is played and be really careful. It's time for your questions you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel takes turns and it's Kim's turn. 
Hi, this is from Patty in Wisconsin. Patty says, my question's regarding the potential need for the creation of a trust. I'm 52 years old. I'm a single mother of a 13-year-old. My assets are currently in the $1.5 million range. I have no debt, and I worry that that kind of money potentially landing in the lap of a person who isn't mature enough to handle it might be a bad thing. Do you have any advice on whether or not I need a trust? And if so, how do I get one the cheapest way possible? Also, do you recommend that I create some sort of a setup where my son would get some money at 18, some more at 25, maybe more at 30? I can personally attest that I became much more wise about money as soon as I got into my 40s. Wow, okay. I'd say that you were more wise about money than you give yourself credit for at an earlier age if you're already at a million and a half dollars that we're discussing here. One thing you don't want to do when you've got this kind of money at stake and you have a minor child is you don't want to be cheap on getting the proper documents drawn to protect the interests of your child and making sure that out of immaturity they don't blow that money. So this is not a case to pinch pennies to protect dollars. You want a lawyer who's an experienced lawyer who all he or she does is wills, estates, and trusts. And the circumstance you describe, you have enough money at risk that the circumstances you describe are perfect for you to pay a bigger legal bill than you're going to believe I'd want you to pay. Because you want to make sure that the circumstances are drawn for the exact situation with your child. Um, one thing about that you asked about, uh, should I have a certain amount of money go at this age, this age, this age, this age, there's all different things that people do with arrangements like this, and they'll change them over time. So let's hope that you live much longer than you expect. And you realize hey, my child has turned out to be a lot more mature than I would have expected, then you would change what arrangements you make at a later date. And so this is not a single document you do that's it. You do um, a trust arrangement for the benefit of your child, and many times it can be done within the structure of a will. And then when the time comes that you want to revisit what it says and how it's done you go back to that overpriced lawyer who does wills estates and trusts and you pay him or her again to revise it based on the age and now clear maturity level of your child and doing this and thinking this through is a very very good idea if there's a lawyer you've dealt with before in personal or business situation you can ask him or her for referral to a lawyer who specializes exclusively in wills, estates, and trusts. Joel? Clark Dave in Georgia says, I purchased a long-term care insurance policy 20 years ago when I was 50. Buying at that age reduced the premium costs, and their selling point was that although the premiums were a little higher, they plan to keep them stable in the future. Oh, that promise, but they lied. <laughs> yeah, is now history, <laughs> and they've increased premiums almost 100% in the last five years oh. and plan to increase another 50% in the next five. I can keep my short-term premium stable by significantly reducing my coverage, although I can afford the $4,000 per year cost. Does this expenditure make economic sense anymore? Yes, um, as much as it it pains me to say so, 
if you are in a position financially to afford the premium, pay the higher premium because you have a very significant chance that at some point in your lifetime, you will need care in some form of facility or care in your home for dealing with life's base, what do they call them, basic, act, I forget the term, daily activities. Anyway, um, the premium dollars you'll pay per year, even at the 100% increase, is still far less than what you would run through in costs in relatively short order if you did need care. And somewhere around uh, two-thirds to a little more than that of us will need this kind of specialized care at some point in our lives. The insurers way underpriced this coverage uh, 20, 30 years ago, and they have ended up having to pay out far more than their actuaries thought they would, and that's why the pain of the higher cost is being borne by you, and I would ride it as long as you can and pay that higher premium as long as you can afford. Kim? Michael in New Jersey says, my parents are in their 70s and they've been using, cover your ears kids, a full service brokerage firm. I finally convinced my dad to move all of his investments to Vanguard. The brokerage firm charges upwards of $250 per transaction. So we're wondering the best way to go about moving this money. Is my dad going to be charged a transaction fee for every holding that he moves to Vanguard? Is there an option to maybe pay a percentage to the broker instead? Clark, what is the best way around any possible fees? Wow. Wow. Um, Any hint at how much money the parents have? Zero. Sorry. No, not zero money, but zero hint. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Um, So Vanguard, as an example, has uh, Vanguard brokerage. And a lot of the holdings that are in that full commission stock brokerage that charges the massive fees may be able to be moved as the holdings exist and avoid all those fees. So you want to talk with Vanguard about opening uh, an individual investor's account uh, or your parents opening one and based on the holdings have a statement of the brokerage account in front of you and a Vanguard rep will be able to tell you if the money can move as the holdings exist and avoid all the ripoff fees that the brokerage would charge. There may be some what are known as proprietaries in there, investments that uh, have to be sold in order to move the money. Hopefully most of them are not that and this hopefully will not be the expensive transaction you think it would be. Now, Vanguard also offers a fiduciary service where if you have, that's why I asked about assets, that the most you can pay to be part of it is uh, 0.30 of a percent per year for Vanguard to have a fiduciary uh, recommend investments, manage investments for your aging parents at a tiny, tiny fraction of the cost of what it would be at this full commission stock brokerage, where odds are your parents aren't even dealing with a fiduciary, somebody who legally is bound to do what's in your parents' best interests. Joel? 
Clark Jim in Louisiana says, I'm thinking about buying a television. I'm wondering if it's best to get it before the holidays or to wait until after. Well, the key time for the cheapest sales each year has passed, and that is uh, this year was really the month of November. And there will be a lot of sales on TVs once the weather gets warmer um, later in the season. Maybe March would be a, a good time again to buy a TV because the technology just gets better and better. The prices get cheaper and cheaper, and there are always sales on TVs. It's just the absolute cheapest low point each year is during the month of November. Jody joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Jody, it's so funny. Uh, This is something I've talked about with my daughter and son-in-law who refinanced, uh, I guess it was last year, and the the lowest interest rates anybody had ever seen on a mortgage. And now it's like, what should we do? Now we're at the (laughs) all-time record lows. Yeah, I thought I was my uh, wondering if I should refinance again. It cost me like $4,000 last time I did it. You well, know, for closing fees. What are you, are you at like, um, if you did it last year, are you like three and three eighths or three and a quarter or something it's, like that? It, it, it's 3.2. 3.2 straight up. Okay. And um, and what term did you do when you refied? Is that a 20 or 30? It's a 30 year. And how long have you been in your home? Uh, about 13 years. Okay. So the smart move if you can swing it, unless your circumstances don't fit it, is for you to bite the bullet, refi one more time, but this time do a 15-year loan. 15-year. Yeah, because, I mean, you you said you'd been in the home, how long, you said 13 years? Yes. So basically, when you refied, you went from owing money for this home for 17 more years to starting all over with a 30-year loan again. Yes, I did. And the 15-year loans carry a a significantly lower rate than a 30, and then you'd have definitely the space that would make it worth you refining. Um, If that's, like, not doable and I'm out of my mind suggesting you go into a 15-year, then the compromise would be refining into a 20 you'll get a slightly lower rate typically than a 30-year refi, maybe an eighth of a point, but you're still going to shave 10 years off the loan. Okay, okay, great. Um, great. But I do I need to I... ask you this. How long do you think you'll stay in the home? Well, we don't have any real plans to move, uh, probably for quite a while still. I hope and retire in five more years. If you're going to retire in five years... The question is, do you want to spend your entire retirement still having to pay a mortgage on this house? I don't. So that's <laughs> why doing the 15-year loan, again, the payments have to be what you can swallow. you got to be able to afford them. But if you can, it means that uh, when you retire in five years, you'll know you have 10 years left on that loan instead of 25. Okay. All right. Good idea. And are you a member of a credit union? I am. Go to your credit union because credit unions have become ultra important in mortgage loans. I mean, you go back 15 years ago, credit unions were irrelevant in mortgage lending. Now they're really, really important because usually they're the cheapest place you can go. 
I would go to a credit unit. Also, if you've ever used a mortgage broker who shops your loan with multiple lenders, I would do that too. And uh, if you can handle the payment on that 15, you can run your own schedule, by the way. You can go straight, Jody, on to, um, uh, you know, do a Google search or whatever and say uh, mortgage amortization schedule and just put in what you anticipate the loan rate would be on a 15-year loan at what rates are now. See what that monthly payment would be. That'll be before taxes and insurance and see if that's doable or if it would just destroy your budget. If it's doable, 15 is going to be your friend. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so that you can keep more of what you have. You rely on me. You depend on me to give you good, actionable ideas, advice, information that you can run with. But there are times that you'll hear me give somebody an opinion answer somebody's question, or state something as if it's fact that you feel is fiction, wrong, incomplete, or I'm just thick in the head. And that's why we have Clark.com slash Clark Stinks, where you can post where I missed the mark, where you feel my information was faulty, incomplete, flat out wrong. And then weekly, our producers, Kim and Joel, go through your posts on Clark Stinks and share their favorites with you right now. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. All right, Clark, today we are starting with a Clark Stinks from Ronald. Ronald says, Clark is retiring and he stunk it up one last time. When he announced it, he told us that his website would continue. However, he did not give recommendations on who to listen to to get more advice on saving more, spending less, and avoid getting ripped off. Where do we go in the future to hear advice like this? Well, I do a podcast already, and I will continue to do a podcast. And so I hope that I can still give you advice that works for you. But I want to point out that there are many, many, many uh, financial podcasts that do a great job serving different elements of what are important to people with their wallet. Uh, Producer Joel, you've been doing your own podcast for how long now? Uh, almost three years. And uh, what do you cover in yours? So everything personal finance related, not nearly as much consumer advice uh, that you do, but yeah, I'm just like a complete personal finance nerd. So just like nerding out on it with my best buddy, Matt. And there are lots of others. You have, I assume, since you're so deeply enmeshed in the podcast world, are there some in particular that you think are worth note that would be worth mentioning as other sources to really empower people. A mutual friend of, of yours and mine, Paula Pant, has one called Afford Anything that's really, really good. Um, you've been on that podcast before, but also just a, a great time to tell listeners that your podcast is continuing and that people don't have to miss you. They can go follow, continue to listen to your advice um, uh, a few days a week. And one of the things about podcasts is it's uh, narrow casting. People get into very specific areas of 
areas of interest and it is a fast growing area and so there's a lot a lot of choice out there if you like my style my delivery and the content i cover it'll be a a bit different format but you'll be able to continue that with the podcast and now joel it's your turn all right clark tom has a clark stinks to throw in there he says in a recent podcast you severely criticized companies who laid off employees just before christmas but Clark, you should have heard the howls when a large company I worked for, following your thinking, waited until after Christmas for the layoffs. The reactions from employees were nearly unanimous. If we had known, we would have saved our money rather than spent it like it was a normal Christmas. By hiding this information from us, you made our situations much worse. So how can management be so insensitive? That was their that was the way they thought about it. He says there's no good time for layoffs. Just before Christmas may sound cruel, but just after Christmas isn't necessarily any better. By the way, I love the show. Thank you. And and it's been a terribly difficult year with unemployment, layoffs, furloughs, and a lot of people who were facing what they thought were temporary layoffs that have become permanent. This has been um, a shockingly hard time as a result of the pandemic. And the one thing I'll say to anyone who is suffering right now from unemployment is that a lot of the conditions that created this wave of unemployment will lift. The underlying structure of the U.S. economy is sound, and it's impacted so heavily by our public health failure to deal with the, the problems that coronavirus threw our way that led to a significant decline in economic activity. But we're going to get past this, and it's going to be through the vaccine. And as we get widespread adoption of the vaccine in 21, the job market will also heal. Kim? Mike says, I listened to Clark, and I signed up with Credit Karma, and now I curse Clark every time I open my email. Now I receive 20 to 30 (laughs) junk emails a day. People selling pet insurance, funeral funeral insurance, seafood at my doorstep, a neck a neck relaxer, emails about gadgets, emails about dating services, a new flashlight, letters to Santa, mortgage loans, lawn fertilizers. You get it. Ask yourself, Clark, how does Credit Karma generate revenue? It apparently comes from them selling your information. So, um, first of all, I'm stunned because. I'm looking back and I've had, I see five marketing emails over the last four months. So I don't know why you're getting so many, but I'll tell you a trick that people use with sites like uh, anything, you know, marketing things you sign up for to get a coupon, credit card, anything where you don't normally want them in your life. You set up uh, in your email in basket, set up a separate commercial email for things you're signing up for so that these emails don't intrude into your normal everyday activity. But I'm stunned by the number of solicitation emails you're getting from Credit Karma. Um, Kim and Joel, do you each have Credit Karmas or do neither of you? I do. I do too. And how often are either of you getting these marketing emails? I kind of agree with you, actually. I set up a separate email account when I got Credit Karma, so I know for a fact I haven't really gotten any. I get way too many emails from Credit Karma, 
but no new junk emails to that address. Yeah, I'm not getting any either, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's because I've unsubscribed from everything from Credit Karma or why, but I'm not getting anything. But setting up a um, separate email for any commercial kind of stuff is really great. Anybody you have to register with, with an email address, but you really don't want to be their best friend filling your email address. That's why you have a separate one. And I come to realize my credit karma, I did that. It's in my separate commercial email. That's why whatever emails beyond those five I was able to find, uh, they're not bothering me at all day to day. And credit karma, you know, they're giving that stuff for free. They're making money trading on your information. Joel? Clark Dan says, hey, Mr. Howard. Oh, don't. <laughs> don't. He said, you uh, you suggested to someone they pay off their student loan of less than $10,000. I think there's a good chance with the new administration that small student loans could be forgiven. Why not just pay the minimum for several months and then do what you said if this program doesn't come to fruition? That's an interesting idea because it's a huge question mark if the Biden administration is going to wipe out a portion of federal student loans. The president has a certain amount of authority to do some level, apparently, of loan forgiveness. I had no idea that uh, that an administration could do that. And there's a lot of debating, apparently, going on behind the scenes among the transition team as to whether or not there's going to be some level of loan forgiveness. I think that there will be a real split among the American people if there is a widespread loan forgiveness for federal student loans, because it means that people who have not gone to college or went to college and did not borrow money will be subsidizing the college expense of people who did and borrowed money. And so this is a very, very um, potentially divisive action that might come. At the same time, uh, you talk to people who follow this sort of thing there are a huge number of people with federal student loans that economically will never be able to get them paid off because they got um, degrees that are not generating the kind of income that would ever get their student loans paid off. Kim? Ian says, your advice recently was incomplete about donating one's body for research. A prospective donor should learn about the policies governing ultimate return of remains. Both of my parents contracted with a local medical school to donate their bodies. My father died first, and the university took his remains with a promise to return his ashes within a year. It was about two years later, and after a great deal of prodding from me, that his remains were finally returned to us. My mother and my dad's elderly sister were both extremely upset by the long delay and absence of closure. My mother then canceled her agreement with the university. I, I am so sorry that this brought pain into your family's lives. And shame on that uh, medical center for failing to take into account uh, people's feelings and what they had promised to do. Unacceptable behavior on their part. Callous, uncaring. Um, I, I don't know that that is a common occurrence that people are really treated so badly 
but I'm really, really sorry that this happened in your family with your dad. Joel? Clark Wendy says, I really take issue with Clark's answer to the question about selling a home to a friend who wanted to make a cash offer and wanted to know whether or not they needed a real estate agent. Clark, you suggested going to a lawyer that does real estate closings. Well, I'm a real estate agent and we often facilitate deals for folks who already know who they're selling to, at least in my state. We create a facilitator's agreement and do the paperwork for the parties involved. Most of us charge significantly less than we would in a normal transaction, probably also quite a bit less than a lawyer would cost. By the way, most real estate agents are not making the big bucks that most people think we are. It's a few big agents that do most of the cleaning up. Most of us are like our clients if we're lucky in terms of income, and we know house buying and selling paperwork inside out, so I would ask Clark to reconsider this one. I appreciate that, and uh, by the way, you're not the only person I've heard from who is a real estate agent who felt like my answer was lame to that question. Kim? Michael says, I was listening to your show recently and there was a question about credit card consolidation. You suggested Lending Club or Prosper. Clark, both of them charge fees and are a bad choice if you have good credit. Discover, SoFi, or Marcus are no-fee lenders. I love that suggestion. And I'd say that was a fail on my part in answering that question that I did not mention any of them is... um, uh, well, you know, you got the fintech aspect with SoFi, who was really the first to do this. Discover has been doing this, and they go uh, hot and cold on this particular kind of lending activity. Um, I do want to point out that doing a loan consolidation is not always a good solution. If somebody's really wheezing on the debt they have, it doesn't solve the problem by doing a loan consolidation. But if somebody is in good financial shape, it's just they're paying too much interest on something else. It is a good strategy. Joel? Clark Gregg says, I thought you said SpaceX was going to drive down the cost of internet. Researching, it looks like SpaceX is going to charge 99 bucks a month plus a $500 equipment fee up front. What gives? Uh, it's early adopter beta kind of cost to be involved at this point. Why the people who are paying that are thrilled to pay those fees because the alternative they have with the only other type of internet is the legacy satellite internet services, which are slow and phenomenally expensive. But over time, space-based internet is going to be cheaper and very price competitive. I appreciate all your posts. Anytime you feel that I have not delivered for you, please go to Clark.com slash Clark Stinks. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Eric is with us on the Clark Howard Show. And Eric, isn't it disgusting? You handle money beautifully. You don't carry debt. And the consequence of that is that the credit reporting system says that you are a high credit risk. Yeah, Clark, that's right. So just, you know, monitoring my credit score every couple of months, you know, look at one of the uh, monitoring systems out there. And, and right, that's kind of a, a negative ding on me is that while I've had credit for about 13 years and I own a few credit cards, keep the utilization low and everything, uh, I've never I've never had student debt, never had a car loan or mortgage or anything like that. So I was wondering what I could do to kind of optimize, you know, that credit score. Well, for, how many credit you know, cards it, do you have? So I have three right now. And what utilization rate are you running? Usually under 3 to 5%. You know, I paid off in full every month. But your utilization rate is below 10, down at 3 to 5%? It is, yep. It's you should 10. still have a more than acceptable credit score. What kind of number are you showing right now? So I've had, so about five years ago, I had a, a minor little blemish on there. Okay. Uh, a collection blemish on there. So it's it's average right now. My FICO is about 705, and my Equifax is about 795. Okay, you're good. You're good. Because in two years, that collection from five years ago vanishes. You know, at seven years, it, it by law must leave your credit report. And then your payment record on the credit cards will be sufficient to give you an extremely high credit score. And okay. I, I, like you, carry no credit at all other than I use credit cards as a payment system. I pay them in full every month. I keep my utilization rate around 7%. And just so people know, even if you pay your balance in full, if your utilization when the bill comes is high, that hurts you. And anything below 30% is good you're at single digits, which is phenomenal. So once that item disappears from five years ago in 22, when it's gone, your credit score is going to be in the low 800s with your credit utilization, even without having an auto loan or a mortgage as part of your current active utilization. So I don't think you have a problem here. I think you're good. And you know how the system works. And uh, Eric, when you said you were checking things, is this on Credit Karma? Is that where you're monitoring? Or are you checking with your credit cards that give you free access to your score? Where is it you've been looking? So I use both of those. So I have you know the, the FICO credit score through Discover, the Discover it card. And then I have uh, Credit Karma as well. Then you are perfect. You're doing everything right. And there's nothing for you to do different than what you're doing. You're in the 700s, even with that collection item from five years ago. And that's your floor. It's only going to go up steadily from here. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.